Daniel. Crash Course in History, session Welcome. number six. Rabbi Blyweiss. Yesterday, Yoni, you asked what we did. So yesterday, we, we did the happiest time in history. Uh, the land, each tachas teinasa, tachas gavta, tachas teinasa. Each man, uh, to quote the Pasuk in Malachim, under his grapevine, under his fig tree, economic prosperity. Come, close the doors, in, out, whatever you feel like doing, but we're going we're gonna to get started. The... Um, so we are on the timeline. Any still have their, their timelines? Okay, we are, we are approximately, when, when Shlomo, right, the first temple is built, it's about 832 before the Common Era. 832 before the Common Era, and the, um, it, <coughs> the Lamb was in, a, in, such, in such a peak, we say that the, these days are the days that are the model for the Yemosa Mashiach. Now, um, it's hard to then understand what Chazal say, and this is, we're not really giving ourselves the luxury. Um, I, I've, I've enjoyed this immensely. I've, I've never done this before, a crash session through history. That's why it's, I thought I'd go faster, but I can't. This is about as fast as I could possibly run uh, through history. Um, and I'm not used to it exactly because my, uh, generally I like deeper analysis, and I like sticking with an idea until we can finish it, but I do think that it's a huge advantage to, to having the overview of history in a short span of time like we're doing. And anyway, I'm not doing anything else this year. I'm not doing the whole history this, this year. I know, I want to get there. I really do want to get there. If any of this, if any of this, I keep saying this though, and, and by all means, and you only haven't been here, no reason you had to be, but um, if any of this piques your interest, A, send me an email and I'll send you further reading. B, it is all posted on my website. And if you want, and I have a website, menashablyways.com, very creatively named. Uh, and and I, I recorded over 130 um, lectures in this, this style. I mean, it, what, what we're doing right now in, in previous years, actually the, I redid the history last year because I updated it. So uh, the last year's version of history is up and in much greater detail. Are you monetizing your travel? Say it again? Okay. So the, the Medrash tells us that in addition to the three kings and four commoners, anybody remember who they were? We said this the other day. Menashe is one of the kings. Before him, we had we had Yeravam and Achav, and then the four commoners: Achisofel, Gehazi, uh, Doeg, and Bilam, who were cited as not being and not meriting a portion of the world to come. So the Medrash comes to add to that Mishnah in in Berakhelik, and says that there's a fourth king that should have been in the list. His name was Shlomo Hamelech. And Chazal sometimes have scathing things to say about Shlomo himself, which kind of makes you wonder, because so far everything we've learned about the man has been superlative. He was and remains the smartest man ever to walk the planet. He was, and, and he controlled everything. He was, he was, he was, he was, he dominated the upper worlds, the lower worlds, and, and the nation never had it as well as, as under Shlomo. So what was his downfall? That's what I'm about to do, but go ahead, Yoni. Hashem specifically gave him that power, that ability. Right. It wasn't like a natural ability. Correct. All true. So he's not we really pointed that out yesterday. Ever walk the world. Right. It wasn't natural smarts, but he was the smartest. Meaning nobody has natural smarts. Hashem gave even the people yeah, with the high IQs more, that. Even more supernatural. He merited because of his good midos. So in a sense, he was even more, his is even more natural than what you call somebody who's born naturally brilliant. Who didn't have any good meetings, didn't merit that. It was just something innate that a kind of sparkle gave him. The uh, he almost didn't get a portion world to come, but he was redeemed because of his his enthusiasm, his rizus in building the base of Mikdash. But it all started that night. Which night? Let me know this. 
the night that Shlomo married Masparo. In fact, that night, Gavriel, the angel, who's usually on our side, he was sent by Kaddish Baruch Hu, Al Malachim are all Hashem's agents, down to plant a tiny little rod in the bed, uh, uh, in in a bed um, in the sea. And from that little rod, that little that little staff grew up a little island that turned into a country that was called Rome. Roma. Rome comes from this, and what Chazal are telling us here profoundly is that everything that we do, remember, this, remember what's, the, what's the overarching theme of history, two words in Hebrew? Remember, the, remember our anthem here? Hachet Gorem. Right? The, the, everything is generated by our actions, by our sins, by our righteousness, by, by, our, by our relative uh, good or bad works. You guys are all The Rebbe. Absolutely true, and that's why the Gemara, just like we saw by David Amelas and by Chofni and Pinchas, we saw Misha Amar Shlomo Chata Eino Elatoa. Anybody who says that Shlomo sinned in the explicit sense of the word is mistaken. It's not what it looks like. Indeed, Basparo. Absolutely, she converted beforehand, and Shlomo Melch, for his part, um, Rabbi Yossi is of this opinion in the Gemara, he married her L'Shem Shemayim. His, his marriage was done with the intention of, with, with a beautiful intention, I'm going to mention in, in a minute. Nevertheless, when he married her, it was a terrible, tragic decision, and Jewish history goes, goes down ever since this point, and what the connection is that the Medrus is saying that, that when we do bad things, it has reverberations that sometimes manifest and, and take root and then grow up into something really big and awful and evil, such as the Roman Empire that will come and destroy the Second Temple, um, and all these things, everything is interconnected. So what goes around comes empires. around. What? You're saying one of the greatest empires really started by David. Right. Oh, we did everything. Right? When they talk about the protocols of the elders of Zion, you know, this, this uh, yeah. anti-Semitic manifesto, they're wrong and they're right. And we, we aren't really in any in any real politics. I know, really. You don't, don't, don't tell the non-Jews this. Don't tell the, you know it's a bestseller in Japan. Now, isn't that wild? They don't even know Jews. Why, why would they buy this book? People buy into this. It's, it's a calumny, which means a, ma a, a masterful lie, but it is based on something true, that everything that happens to Klal Yisrael is, affects the entire world. Right, we, we, we mentioned this so far in all of the history classes where the original language, uh, the, 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 the whole notion of a state, of a constitution, all this comes, can, can be dated back and traced back um, very, very easily back to the Torah. The, um, the defense, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yossi says, is that his, uh, Shlomo Mel, he actually didn't just marry Basparo. He had a, a couple other wives and concubines, if you consider. Seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, if you had to count them. Um, but every last one of them, he did it L'Shem Shemaim. How's that possible? How's that conceivable? It is an Easter the Arisa. But he thought he was different. He thought he was en route to becoming the Melech HaMashiach. And his intention in marrying them after having converted them was bringing all of humanity under the will of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, under the submission of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and that these wives would convert from all the different nations of the world and bring their nations ultimately along with them, which didn't quite happen that way. In fact, the other thing, in fact, a very different fate transpired. Um, instead of their being uplifted and brought under the rule of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, many of them, unbeknownst to Shlomo HaMelech, snuck their idolatrous ways into the palace. And they and some of their sons started to sneak in the early 
manifestations of Avodah within the kingdom itself. Shlomo's sin was not of commission, but was omission. You know that expression? When Shlomo, when Shlomo messed up, his, it was simply he didn't discipline his household well enough. And I guess I might have <clears throat> hard to imagine ourselves having a thousand wives if we would have done much better ourselves. The, uh, yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, there are a lot of immediate ramifications that come out of this, um, but one of them is that the kingdom is split in the next generation after Shlomo Amelech. After Shlomo Amelech, the, the, kingdom, the kingdom will split, and you know we've never been reunited since. I don't know if you realize what a tragedy of history that is. The Jewish people are only a people in our true potency when we're united. Shiftei the, the twelve tribes of Kodesh Baruch Hu are only are only worth anything when they when, when they all rally around the Kodesh Baruch Hu, like by Har Sinai. We're described by Har Sinai, Ishachad, Belevachad. You've heard this expression before. One man, one heart. We're all unified. That was that's that's when we're the most powerful force in the universe. And when we're an Am Mefuzar Mefurab, where's that language from? An Am Mefuzar Mefurad, who used that term? Haman uses that in, in, in the Gilis Esther to refer to Am Yisrael, because in those days indeed we were quite disunified, and that was our Achilles heel. When we're not, when we're not, we don't have our act together, literally, um, everything, everything, everything falls apart. Um, Shlomo Melch, actually his life is, is, is over, overwhelmed. He imports L'shem Shemayim, in order to find the Shemar we mentioned yesterday, he imports the king of the demons, Ashmedai. And in the first evil twin story in all of history, Ashmedai tricks Shlomo. Shlomo oh, sees is intrigued by these psukim. Anybody knows, anybody looked up the Gemara and Gitin that I referred you to? Because the Gemara goes on, the, anybody do it? No? You will. You, trust me, it's, it's amazing. So part of the part of the Agarita there tells us that Shlomo was always bothered. He was wondering, how is it that you celestial beings, you, you like king, Mr. King of the Demons, man, Right? Why is it that you guys are somehow superior to us? So Ashmedai says, you know, if you could remove this um, chain that has Hashem's holy name written into it, and therefore it's imprisoning me from me, um, from this ring, then um, I'll tell you the secret. And Shlomo says, okay. Smartest man in the world says, okay. And really? he does, and he removes the ring, and immediately the Gemara, there are actually two different Girsas in the Gemara. The Gemara says that Ashmedai swallows the ring. And in another Girsa, it's Ashmedai swallows the king. And then spits him out 400 parsos across and outside of Eretz Yisrael. And the king is reduced to rags at Ashmedai in the first evil imposter twin story imitated by many low-level sitcoms since then. Um, comes out and becomes the king himself. Uh, and that's evidence to the king's wives who can't believe the new um, energy that that king has. And when I said in Opan uh, uh, in the last hour that you can't believe the um, openness of Chazal to talk about things, but for them it was all the shame of Shemaim. What would, uh, we, we, we would be surprised, but you could look up the Gemara yourself and see what the evil imposter wait, did. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh. Gitin, now I got your interest suddenly. <laughs> Um, and it's all the shame Shemayim. I'm sorry. What's that? What daf is it on? Samaches Amud Beis. That's sixty-eight to uh, to to the commoner. No, no, no. Looking up the Gemara, Chazal telling us these stories is not just to tell us fun stories that that. Uh, but they're they're trying to teach us deeper things. Um, some of the wives notice something's a little bit off when they see the the king who looks just like Shlomo Melech from the from the knees up is walking around with chicken feet. Something's a little bit off about that man, uh, and um, in any case, in any case, Shlomo walks around, walks around trying to persuade everybody, but he's in pauper, he's in, he's in pauper's clothes. All he has left is, of course, 
is the mate. What mate would that be? Oh, and what? Did, oh, you mean the original mate? And where will that mate be in the end of days? Mashiach Tikkenu will hold the same mate. So he's due to his rod, his staff, and his cloak. Which cloak is he wearing on his back? Put it to one. Could it be a cloak that Hashem made for Adam Arishon, and it wound its way down, and that and that and that Esav killed Nimrod, and then Rivka gave it last week's parsha to Yaakov, and Yaakov presented it in a couple weeks' parsha to Yosef as the Ketonis Pasim, and eventually comes to Shlomo, and he's reduced to this, and he wanders, wanders around the world, and he starts saying, "Ani Kohelis." Ha'isi Melech B'Yushalayim, which is one of the Pesukim near the beginning of the Book of Kohelis, which is another name for Shlomo Melech Kohelis, for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with the term, is Ecclesiastes, as rendered irrationally in English. Uh, and, um, and Shlomo wanders around, but nobody believes him, because the real king is sitting up on the throne. And uh, he's desperate, and there's a machlokas about what winds up happening. Does Shlomo regain his former kingship or not? It seems the end is, is positive. According to one shot, at least, it, the end is positive. Um, uh, for Shlomo, he comes back, but then he dies at the age of 40, 52. And he leaves his son behind, who's not quite his father. His name is Rechavam. Not quite in the level that one would hope for. By the way, tomorrow, what I should really do for you, and I neglected you to think about this today, but I have a list of all the Malchai Yisrael and all the Malchai Yehuda, which is terribly confusing. So right now, those who take notes, Kola Kavod, I, I, I encourage you. And those of you who didn't get all the details now, I'm going to pass out. <clears throat> the list of the kings, which is a good thing to keep track of because these are holy people. A lot of them are some of the most consequential people in history. You can talk about. So Rechavam is not his old man in, in wisdom, in, in, in uh, leadership, uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. He's a, he's, he's a flawed, not a bad person. Um, and he says to the nation who's, who's now rebelling against him, they're not, they're not happy with Rechavam at all. And he says, and they're not happy, they weren't happy with the end of Shlomo either and the fact that he didn't control his wives and the introduction of the Avodah Zarah, the nation's very, very, very uh, unha- displeased. And they say, they say, we're not having this anymore. And there's a new man who's been on the scene. He's one of the, and I just mentioned his name a few minutes ago. And he has notions that he should be the true king. And he sees an opportunity with the weak Rechavam. His name is Yeravam. I know the names sound familiar. Try to keep track of them. There's Rechavam and there's Yeravam. And Yeravim ben Nevat, one of the smartest men who ever walked the planet, um, he would speak his pilpul, his Torah, and people would stand there, the jaws would drop, would drop open the gate. And Yeravim leaves an insurrection. And it happens in one of the places in, the, in Eretz Yisrael that's designated for disaster. The Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us it's, it's Mizuman lefuranos. Bad things happen there historically. Shechem. Shrem is where they all gather, and when the nation threatens an insurrection, uh, Rechavam warns them, and he's a famous pasuk. He says, "Avi, my father, Yisareschem b'shotim, he got you with whips. Vani ayaseraschem b'akrabim, I'm going to get you. I'm going to whip you into shape with scorpions." And um, and they said, "No thanks." And uh, making a long story short, and there's some credits that Yerachavam get. He's not a terrible. He's not a terrible figure. He's simply flawed. Um, they break apart, and you have what's called the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And we'll, I'm going to give away part of the story. You probably know it anyway. The Northern Kingdom goes away, and we'll talk about their end. Whatever happened to the Northern Ten Tribes? You've heard of the Lost Ten Tribes. The Northern Kingdom is gone, but this is the last time Am Yisrael is ever together, and it's a, it's a huge tragedy. 
And it has huge reverberations. The immediate reverberations, 10 tribes go north. Which tribes stay in the south? So you can keep track of this. Which are the Shvatim that are in, in the southern kingdom and the Rehavah? Logically, Yehuda, because he's part of Yehuda. Base David, of course, emanates from Yehuda. So that's Judea in the south of Eretz Israel. And tomorrow I should also give you a map. So Blinator, I have important handouts to give you tomorrow. So that's, that's the southern kingdom. Who is with Yehuda? Binyamin. We presently, right now, the yeshiva is in Binyamin. Binyamin is north of Yushalayim. North Yushalayim, Yehuda is the south of Yushalayim. So Binyamin, Yehuda. And then, of course, who else is included there? No, 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 no. Menashe is split in half. And some of you still have the maps that I gave you yesterday about the divisions of the tribes. Um, but but both, tri both portions of Menashe are part of the northern kingdom. No, who else is included in Binyamin and Yehuda? I mentioned this one is swallowed up into Yehuda. Shimon. So Shimon's included in, not, at this point, not even a distinct tribe anymore. And then there's another, you know this one is really obvious. Um, there are other, there, there's one more tribe represented in Yehuda. God? Come on, Henry, help us here. Levi. Right? The Levim and the Kohanim because, because they don't have a portion. They're scattered into the, how many? Anybody remember this? I mentioned this the other day. 48 cities, the, Levi, the Levi cities and the Kohanim could live anywhere. The Levim and the Kohanim are scattered around. And so there are some who are in the south and some in the north. So when they talk about the lost 10 tribes in the north, to be more precise, it's really more like nine and a half. Because it's the nine tribes plus whoever the Levim and the Kohanim were who are in the north. Now, Yeravim's got a problem, see. Because Yeravim in the north is this now very powerful king over the majority of Klal Yisrael. But he knows a basic principle of halacha. It goes like this. Ein yeshiva ba'azara it's coming up Yantiv very soon, and he knows that all of the nation, they're all religious, they're all very from, they're Yeri Shemaim, and they're going to be all in the Regal. They're going to go down to Yerushalayim and... Um, when it comes time for the Hakel proceedings, when the king reads from the Tyre, from the Sefer Tvarim, when it comes time for that, then the, uh, there'll be one king. And it's only from Beis David, and not Yeravam. And everybody will look at Rechavam reading from the Sefer Tyre, and they'll look at Yeravam, and they'll say, hey, you're an imposter. And he'll be totally undermined as a king. So Yeravam makes one of his most uh, dastardly kind of decisions. He sets up guards along the borders in the north, and I'm deliberately pointing in that direction because this is just north of Yerushalayim and Binyamin, the northern area over there. He sets up guards that uh, prevent any Jew from the north from going down to Yerushalayim and being Ole Regal. And now the nation is sundered. And there's, a, there's an official split. Those guards will remain there with a couple of exceptions. There's uh, Yeravim's son. Uh, uh, son will be somewhat involved in trying to remove the guards, but it never works. And effectively, those guards are posted and maintained by every sovereign, every king in the north, um, from Yeravim and down to the last king in the north, Hoshea ben Elah. Didn't they set up their own? Say it again. <laughs> and, and that's the next point. Good, Yoni. So knowing the Jews cannot be without a means to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and initially you have to, you have to think, no, Yeravim was not initially an Ovid of Odazar, nor did he incite people to Odazar. They cannot be without a mechanism to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So now that you're bereft of Yerushalayim, what are you going to use? So he sets up, he knows, give him the old-time religion. If you don't have the mainstream way of dealing, you don't have the base of Mikdash, what is Jewish that you're going to somehow speak to the hearts of the Jews, if not an Egel? It worked by Harsinai, maybe it'll work here too. And if one is not good enough, well, two will have to do. One in the far north of the country, in the tribe of Dan in the north, they think the archaeologists believe they found, just in the very northern tip of the, of the Golan Heights, right between where, they, where Air Tisrael, the uh, Galilee goes into the northern heights, there's a place called, they set it up as a national site, you have to pay to get in, called Tel Dan. Anybody been there before? Yeah. 
In Tel Dan, you go and there's a place that they believe they found one of the sites of the Ego. That, that, that uh, you've been, you know what I'm talking about? The tour guides describe, and this is where Yerava built his Ego. That was in Dan. And the second one was just north of Yerushalayim in a place called Beit El that we read about in these Parshas. In fact, at the very beginning of this week's Parsha, because everything, wherever you are at any time in the year, it's always in this week's Parsha. Beit El is where Yaakov Avinu has that ominous, has that fateful dream with the angels descending the sun. So Beit El um, is where the second of the Agali are set up. And now the Jews have their alternate place to worship a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's what they were designated for. It was not meant as a Vodazara, but guess what happens? It becomes, soon enough. Because one thing leads to the other, and all it takes a couple generations, a little forgetfulness, and, and, um, and the Jews start straying after it. The, um, he argues that no, it's because the reason he's doing all of this is L'Shem Shemaim. Hashem is displeased with the house of David. And on the day that he appoints the sentry guards along the uh, north-south access route, the Medrash tells us that Romulus and Remus found the city of Rome, formally. Meaning the rod was set in the previous generation, and Romulus and Remus rise up and found... And, and again, you see the Chazal expressing that every act in history, it's the butterfly effect. Butterfly effect, easy for you to say. Butterfly effect in our history, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, butterfly effect, right? In other words, one small act back then has massive ramifications in the future. I think the story is the guy goes back in, his time, in a time machine, Right, this is what it was told to me. I don't know. Fine, he goes back, and then, you know, he steps on a branch, and then he goes back to the modern day, and the whole world is totally altered. But you can see how that happens. And that either, every single act has huge reverberations. And if it's a sin, and if it's a, if it's a mitzvah, we have mitzvahs too. That's why that's the concept of Maisa Avosim and Labani. The works of our forefathers all had huge positive ramifications. Why do you think we start our Shmonas rate with a Shusavos? We say, Hashem, I know I'm not much, but you know, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, they were huge, and hanging on to their coattails, maybe you can help us out now too, today. <coughs> there are a lot of prohibitions involved in these two Egle Zahav. Uh, in the, some of the prohibitions, what, what are they, what, what's Asr about them? In addition to the obvious, they're psalim. You're not allowed to build a pestle, an engraved object, right? They involve the use of non-kohanim priests, but they're not allowed to have non-kohanim priests. They're bamos. Remember the high places people used to used to worship. Many other many other problems. Um, Yeravim is one of those who doesn't have a portion in the world to come. We mentioned them uh, because he, even though himself his motivation, he justified himself. He had it all worked out. He was power hungry. That was really his big sin, but his one sin led to so many other Jewish sins. And you know the famous Chafetz Chaim Lashon Hara story, where the guy sit, uh, um, speaks Lashon Hara and asks how he can possibly do tshuva? You know what I'm talking about? You must have read the story, no? And, and the Chafetz Chaim tells him to make tshuva, and at the very end of the story he says, one more thing I'd like you to do. Go get a pillow. And I says, of course I have a pillow. What do you mean? Go take the pillow and cut it open outside. And I said, okay. So he takes the pillow, cuts it open outside, Happens to be a feather pillow, and happens to be a windy day, and the feathers go and scatter in a thousand directions. The man goes back to Chavis Chaim and says, now what? Chavis Chaim says, would you bring me all those feathers now? Okay, that's what it is to speak Lashon Hara. Once it's out there, you've done damage, it's very hard to bring it back. And the same thing happens when you're Macy Sumedia, when somebody is, incites others to sin, when they get the ball rolling, how do you ever make tshuva? Okay, you can, you can make tshuva yourself. How do, you, how do you bring the other people back? How do you... How do you to, to bring the rocks back from the avalanche. What was, what was Yeravam's major sin? Um, it's conveyed in the story, also in the Gemara and Chalik. Hashem understands that Yeravam has great potential. He's a huge, he's a huge Talmud Chacham. And he says, Yeravam, if you make tshuva, 
I'm promising you something that I don't promising, promise everybody. He says, If you make true, if you return to your essential self, I and you and the son of Yishai, who's that? Gavon Melech will walk in Gan Eden together. You know what Yeravim asks? This, this, is, this yeah. captures the man. This is the essence of man. He says, and you know this is a famous Gemara. Who goes first? Barosh. Who goes first? So Hashem says, Ben Yishai. And Yeravim says, no thanks. Not for me. He, wanted, he wants power. That's what the man's about. What we call the first temple period. Shlomo's built the temple. The first temple period lasts a total of how many years? 410. The second temple? 430. 420, almost. 420. 420. Um, the Balaturim, the Balaturim gives a simple mnemonic in Gematria. Balaturim is a lot. The Balaturim is a perush on the Chumash that brings lots of Gematria. Very helpful. He says, Shemen Katsis. Shemen Katit. And in Katit, crushed fine olive oil. You've got the, you've got the first temple and the second temple. Yutaf, 410. Chavtaf, 420. Okay, that's how you can remember. You can remember seven um, So you got 410 years, and um, now you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The years are, with all the problems, and again, we mentioned that Tanakh focuses on the problems because it's mostly written by Navim, who are trying to help us be better. So of course it's going to focus on the negative. But it's an incredibly positive time, and the worst of the worst of the first temple period are far better than, the, than, than some, of the, some of the villains, certainly, of the Second Temple period. We're talking about generally exalted times because, you need to picture this, the knowledge of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the world, and it's not something that we can relate to, was, was incandescent. Meaning, the light shone, and everybody in the times of prophecy was living in the presence of the Shekhinah. So in the Torah, and we're going to hear some really bad descriptions of, of, of the sins and the, the irregularities of these days, but they're, they're relative to what the people should have and could have done. But they're living in times of prophecy. The knowledge of Kaddish Baruch Hu's world and word is, 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 um, is, is, is imminent. It's all over the place. Do you know that there was never a machlokus during this entire period? You know why? Very logically. You go and you ask a local Navi. There's no doubt. There's no ambiguity. There's no different minhagim. There's no Ashkenazim over here and Svardim over here. There's no confusion. There's no different. There's no sect. There's no sectarianism. There's no Reform Karaites or, or or Sadducees or any of the above. Right? There are problems. Don't get me wrong. But it's relative to this period. It's a different time, and the period is characterized by the Nevim. So let's take a couple minutes just briefly to talk about who are these Nevim. What are Nevim? Nevim are predominantly the mouthpiece of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, but they're much more than that. They don't just predict the future. It's like saying that the Mona Lisa is a nice drawing. The Nevim, the Nevim first and foremost, were pure tzaddikim. You couldn't be a Navi unless you were Bilam, but he's a different story. The Jew, and by the way, after, after Mahar Sinai, there were no non-Jewish Nevim. Go look at the Gemara and Baba, Baba Basra for a more in-depth discussion about what, how Nevuah really works. But from this point on, all the Nevim, and there were millions of them, men and women, um, who, were, who were on a transcendent level. And you could not receive the voice of Kaddish Baruch Hu if you yourself were not a tzaddik, of, 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 on an immense level. They were moral compasses. They were fearless. When Ahab, we'll meet Ahab soon enough, when Ahab comes walking down the road and he encounters Eliyahu and Navi, and he says, Are you the troublemaker of the Jewish people? Eliyahu does not miss a beat. 
He responds in kind. He says, let me get, let me get the right pasuk. Eliyahu says, It's not me. It's you and your father's house. They're fearless. And he knows that his tongue can be cut out of his mouth. But they don't, they don't have a problem with that because they're, they're channeling the word of Hashem and they don't, they don't hold back. And we're going to see at the end of this time, there's a great Navi by the name of Uriah ben Shemaya who hailed from the holy city of Kiryat Yarim, known today as Telstone, um, who actually was murdered by a, by a king for saying the truth. One of the last kings of the southern kingdom would murder a Navi in Israel. It was a big offense. Uh, but he didn't stop, didn't stop the Navi. Yeah? Were are there any midrashim about Ashmedai's kids from Shomel's wives? Unclear that any kids came out of that. The, it would not be a medrash, it would be a comment on the Gemara and Giti, and I don't believe there's any indication from that Gemara. There is such a thing, but we'll look at the Mepharsha. Samech <coughs> base. The Nevim were often salt of the earth, many of them shepherds, farmers, and the like. They worked, they identified with the common, the plight of the common man. They um, notice this in contrast. These are our spiritual figures. Think about this in contrast with other supposed religions, like the Eastern gurus who sit in yoga, who sit in, in a um, doing yoga, totally removed from this world. The Nevim can relate to what it is. They were married. They had children. They were not. They were not. You know. They they, they were not monastic in any way. Um, they actually it were models of what we're trying to do. Get this idea, Ellie, for just a half a second, then you leave. Um, of what is our goal in this world? To take the physical and infuse it with spiritual. They were people of the physical world who knew how to elevate it. Come, who knew how, who knew how to elevate it. The, um, for example, the Nevi'im. The Nevi'im often received the same nevuah. They got the same nevuah, but because they different personality. His personality came out in different ways. So you know Chazal um, compare and contrast two of the great Nevim of all time, Yeshayahu with Yechezkel. So Yeshayahu was described as a Ben, ben Krah. He actually may, may have grown up in royalty. He may have been one of the Malcha Yehuda's sons and brothers. Uh, having grown up among royalty, he was what we call today a cosmopolitan kind of man. Growing up in Manhattan, you know any Manhattanites? Anybody, anybody like that here? With growing up in skyscrapers, right? Or something like that. Toronto might also count, or Baltimore. If you grew up in a big, in a big, in a big, in a big, in a big right? I don't know, big city. So sometimes you've been around the block a little bit. <laughs> you've been around the block a little bit. Then you, you know, sometimes you have you're, you're less excited than the quintessential country bumpkin. That was Yechezkel. Yechezkel is described as a ben ben kfar. He's a, he's, a, he's a boy from the, from, the, from the boondocks. And they both encounter one of the most sublime spiritual experiences, the Maisim Rekava. But whereas Yechezkel, the Navi's response to it, is described in vivid, endless detail. I picture like a country kid coming back from the big city. Ma, you'd never believe it. They got these skyscrapers, and they go way up to the sky. They're, and he counts every story in his letters. Letter goes eight pages long, right? So Yeshaya... He has the exact same encounter. His response is elegant and brief. He says the same image. He says, what does he say? Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Like we say in Kadusha, we're quoting the Tzuki Minishaya. Same vision, different manifestation, prophecy. Sometimes you have two different Nevi'im saying the same thing. Lo Yisagoyel Goy Chareb is a pasuk found in, famously Yeshaya, but also in Micha, identical pasuk. Because they both heard the same word of Hashem. Sometimes it comes out sounding identical. Sometimes it reflects the individual personality of the Navi. Eliyahu Navi was known for being Tavea Kavod Ha'av Kavod He was he he erred on the side of emphasizing the honor of Hashem of the of the Father, and not as much the honor of his son. Um, if you know anything about Eliyahu Navi, 
his whole, um, his whole, Eliyahu doesn't die, yeah? His whole fate and tikkun in the world is to counter and to fix that which he made crooked because he didn't acknowledge enough the greatness of the Jewish people. What is his destiny and, 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 and what does he do? What is his job? He comes to Rismila. When else? Pesach table. When else? Every single week. Motzei Shabbos and Abdullah, he sees Klal Yisrael doing wonderful things. And Hashem is telling him, look at my people. And in the end of days, Teku, Teku stands for? Tishbi Yitaretz Kushios Uvalos. An unresolved Gemara will be resolved in the end by Elian Navi. He'll come and resolve all questions in Yichas. Anybody who doesn't know which tribe they're from, if you're Levim. All of the tekus are Eliana will come as a tikkun, so he can he can resolve um, what was imperfect. So he uh, he defended Hashem and not the Jews as much. In contrast, Yonah Tava Kavod Ben Velo Kavod Av Yonah Navi. He prosecuted. He he went to bat for the Jewish people at the expense of his of, of going back for Hashem. That's why Hashem tells him to go to Ninveh and to and to uh, to give the report. And Yonah says no. Yonah says, no, I'm not going to do that because Nineveh's going to rise up like a lion and they're going to destroy the Jews and I care about the Jews too much to listen to you, Hashem. And so he has his own tikkun that he has to make and go look, go look and say for Yonah to, to understand that. Some of the kings that stand out, Shlomo, ha, Shlomo has Rechavam and, and a couple more, but I'm going to only single out a few that you should know, um, even though everybody's important. Asa. Asa, who, uh, Asa rises up as a great king. His son is Yoshafat. Um, they're described in superlative terms with mistakes. They make mistakes. They have flaws. But with all their greatness, the Pasuk tells us they don't get rid of a perennial problem of the Jews. After Shlomo built the base of Mikdash, everybody came to Yushalayim to offer their korbanos. But some of the people, in addition to that, started keeping bamos. What's a bama? Uh, in addition yeah. to present America, it's a private. I recycled that one. Anyway, the Bama is a private getchk in the backyard. And it was used to serve a Ganesh Baruch, but it's totally us. Awesome. No, it was, it was used. It was good. It was good before that time. You're before absolutely right. In when the mic, when, remember this? When the Mishkab was located first in Gilgal and then later in Novin Givon, Bamos were permitted. <clears throat> the, the, the private place is literally it's a high place of worship but it's any private place of worship of offering korbanos outside of Yerushalayim forbidden from the time that Shlomo built the base of Mikdash correct and now it's also too except for going non-Jews can offer korbanos not Jews can't so why doesn't anybody no I mentioned this the other day I think no that they asked you know, the whole story of if you could be a goy for a day what would you do and he said offer korbanos make sense yeah, yeah. The problem of Bamos actually re- represents the age-old problem of Jewish divisiveness. Remember I told you this one would be our Achilles heel. If Hashem offered us the Torah and we, we said, well, what's in it? The after the Rechel Kamosha, it'd be hard for us. It's, 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 honoring, <coughs> it's honoring one another. Um, we are, we, we um, you know, the guy in the desert island, the guy in the desert island, um, 30 years he's there, that's the one. He's, he's there. He's built a whole Jewish infrastructure. They rescue him after 30 years, and they find building after building after building. Everyone, this is the base medrash, and here's the mikvah. And they go and they say that there are, and of course, there are the, the two Chinese restaurants and everything. And uh, yeah, Jewish place, right? and, then, and in addition to that, he's got two shuls. One person, two shuls. And they say, it's wonderful, but you know, two shuls, you're one person. Can you explain? And he said, sure. He said, that place I dive in Shachit Mincha and Mariv and Anyantiv and Chabis is Musaf and Nila too. He said, and the place across the street there, I wouldn't step foot in that place if you paid me. He said, Jewish divisiveness. There's always the other shul that I don't pray in. 
Right? That's an age-old perennial problem. Of the Jews. And that's, that's the problem of the Bama. And Asa and Yoshafat and most of the kings could not get rid of the Bamos. Twelve, twelve generations of kings and we can't get rid of the Bamos. Meanwhile, in the north, um, the Tanakh, if, you read, if you're learning, say, from Elohim and say, from Yibar Yomim, sometimes it gets confusing because the, the narrative passages bounce back and forth. Now that the Jewish people is divided, it goes south, north, north, south. So you have to keep track of who's what, who's who and what's what. Asa and Yoshafat are in the south. They're from the base of it. In the north, meanwhile, you've got you've got um, you've got multiple dynasties. Yeravim's dies out after two after two generations. There are a couple others. Probably the most famous to emerge initially. Open the door, open the window there, please. Uh, probably the most famous to emerge is Omri and Omri's son Ahav, and they will expand the monarchy. This is the peak time in the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Malchus Israel. The southern kingdom. Malchus Yehuda, or Judea in English. Keep track of that distinction, it'll come up again. So in the north, they become a superpower. They expand their borders, they actually try to, uh, they fight a little bit with the south. Um, the new capital that Omri designates, Shomron, that's what it's called. It's in a place, I love guiding there. On, on my website, I, one of my few pictures that I have on one of my main pages is me guiding Shomron. It's hard to get to, you need a police escort, you need an army escort to get there, they only let you in a few times of the year. <coughs> it's right next Why? to Mm-hmm. It's really right in the heart of everything. Nowadays, they're not going to let anybody in. Um, but it's a Valdiga place, and it's preserved. And I go there, and I tell, I, I just take my Tanakh out, and my Chazal out, and I just go nuts telling stories. It's fantastic. I tell the story of Elisha and the and the and the, and the Arba, Arba as they go out of the city gates, and, and and many of the stories I'm about to share with you. The um, Achav, the son, takes it even takes the takes the nation to an even higher level, um, and does not totally forsake Hashem. He is one of those three that I've mentioned that does not have a portion of the world to come. But the Gemara tellingly says, in Perak again, it says, are you convinced to go learn Perak yet? I hope so. Uh, it's, it, you have to learn Perak if you want to see it. the last chapter of Sanhedrin. It's called Perak Uh It's got all these stories and many, many more. The Gemara there says, very interestingly, Ahab Shakul Hayah. He was right in the balance. He was in extreme Russia, actually goaded on by his evil Phoenician princess, princess wife, Izevel, Jezebel. Izevel, garbage heap. Don't name your daughter that. Uh, so so she, was the, she was the catalyst, but he went along with it. He's a, he's a despicable Russia and a huge Sadiq in Tamil Chacham. All rolled into one. And Hashem will never forgive him for it. The extremes, remember the opposite of love? Apathy. Apathy. When you have you have the extreme package yeah, right. into one, somebody who should have known better, Hashem holds him accountable. That's why he's he among the others are cited as, be, as being somebody who doesn't have a portion in the world to come. But you know, when Eliyahu comes and rebukes him, his response, and this is in contrast with the villains, later villains in history, his response was to fast him or sackcloth. He takes it to heart, he goes he gets sick for days. Because he knows the Navi's rebuke is meaningful. He names his sons the likes of Ahazia, Yehoram. In other words, all variations on Hashem's name. He's, he, he, he introduces the, the worship of the Baal in a big time major Avodazar. Remember before in the Terry of the Shof theme, they went, they dabbled in small time Avodazar, but not the real thing. Now they introduce real time Avodazar. No mistake about it, like the Goyim did. Never in history before was the Avodazar done in explicit open ways, meaning there was not even a manifestation of serving Hashem. He brings that in, but somehow he also worshiped Hashem. And he didn't see the two as incongruous somehow. His kitchen was kosher, Imran Huling tells us. Uh, yeah. Later on, 
Elisha will rebuke his son Yehoram, and Yehoram quietly accepts it. And um, later, later villains like Herod and and, and Yana, Yana, one of the one of the Hasmonean kings, would have had Elisha's tongue. Now, famous scene: Eliyahu Navi challenges when there's a terrible drought. Eliyahu says the solution to the drought, Ahab, is gather all the Nevi'e Habal, all the prophets of the Baal, um, and bring them up to Har Carmel. Who, who's familiar with the story? One of the uh-huh. famous stories of Tanakh. Okay, you should you should know it. If you don't know it, take that. Pay attention. So. They go up there. I'm skipping a lot of the details. It's really much greater if you see the whole thing, but I'm giving you the gist of it. Uh, they, it's a contest to see who's going to listen and make it rain. So the Nevi'e Abad go ideas. Is it true that there's actually a part of Har where there's no trees or something? They have no idea. It's all guesses. Don't believe those short guys. They often don't, don't know what they're talking about. They're just here to entertain you. Nobody has any idea. What do we ha- How would we prove it? Do we even know that's Har Carmel? No, it's called it today. That's because the Arabs call it that. Yishkoyah. No, but I was told that like there is actually a part where like you will be told that, and I've got swampland in Florida. It's excellent, excellent quality stuff. For you, special deal. The um, yeah, there's a place that the Christians have called, and the Arabs called the Mukhraka, on the southern slopes of the Carmel near, near some of the Druze villages up there, and they've got churches and everything, and that's the place that everybody goes because there's no other place. So you're looking for a place to go to, they'll take you there, but you know, doesn't mean that's the place. I, we do a hike. We did it last year. I called it Walking the Footsteps of Eliyahu Navi. It's going down a fantastic hike called Nachla Yagur. And a bit of a Nachla Yagur going down in the, in the, in the thick forest. Um, I said we're, we're walking the footsteps of Eliyahu, even though I, I qualified and said at the very beginning, I have no idea. This is called the Carmel. It's plausibly the place that Eliyahu came to go figure. The Navi Ebal starts leaping in the air. They're shouting. They are trying to arouse the mercy of the Baal. They even go so far as to cut themselves with knives. All morning long, and nothing brings rain. Eliyahu, this is one of the great images in, in Tanakh, Eliyahu teases them. He goads them on. He says, I don't think the Baal hears you. I think a little louder. And they, they, they're, they're, they're egged on. They say, okay, Baal! They start screaming up at the top of their lungs. He says, cut deeper, he said. Okay! And they start cutting deeper to no avail. Nothing works. The next evening, Eliyahu's turn is to offer the korban. Chielabes Eli. There's so many great little details in all these in all these episodes. I don't have time to go tell you who Chiel is right now, but he's sitting under the mizbeach trying to thwart it, and he gets burned alive. Anyway, um, Eliyahu Navi offers a korban the next evening. It's us, sir. It's an Isa Deiraisa. We just talked about it. Where are you allowed to offer a korban in these days? Face of Mikdash. How is Eliyahu Navi able to do this? What we call a an emergency measure he was in Navi Hashem said you and now it's okay nobody else for the time for the Kiddush Hashem sake um, it was allowed and it was proved that it was okay the Pasuk says there's a time to do for Hashem they're breaking the Torah you have to, you have to break the Torah to keep the Torah a fire dramatically falls from the heaven. It consumes the korban ola, the burnt offering, but doesn't stop there. It consumes the wood pile. The wood starts burning a lot, burning up, and then the stones start burning, as does the dust and even the water, meaning things that don't burn. It was a nes galui. It was a revealed miracle. Uh, all of the people present and everybody from the north gathered exclaim in one voice the same verse, the same words we say at the end of Yom Kippur, and we say it for this reason, Hashem, who Elohim, <coughs> in unison. They grab, they grab the, uh, the Nevi'e Habal, they slit their throats by the river Kishon, and there's a great movement of tshuva. 
Um, even Ahab joins them, and he says, Hashem, he is God. The famine ends, the rain falls. The next morning, Ezel puts out a life, threat, life warrant on Eliyahu, and he has to flee for his life. Why? They forget so quickly, I tell you. One day they make two, the next they're back to their old idolatrous ways. So um, Ezel, yeah, Ezel. Like he just helped. He just... I know how quickly they forget. Talk about myopia, right? Short-sightedness. You, you, one day, one thing, one thing, one of the next. Where does Eliyahu famously flee? He flees to Chorev. Chorev, which is another term for Harsina. And it's there that a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and remember Eliyahu has a hang-up there, and this is all very deep, and I don't have time to really go into the depth, but it's very much reminiscent of what we're talking about. He's Tovea Kavod Av at the expense of Kavod Ben. He doesn't see the merits of Klal Yisrael, and he's, he's, he's greatly aggrieved with what's gone on in his life, and he can't believe that Jews could make tshuva, and then suddenly he's, he's got a death warrant on his, on his head, and, a, and he tries to encounter Kaddish Baruch Hu, and very famously, what does he encounter? First, there's a massive wind, and he doesn't feel anything, and then there's an earthquake to end all earthquakes, and then there's a fire, and followed by everything is one of the famous images of history. You should get this expression down. He hears a, let me know this. Good, yes. Kol d'mama, Daka, a still small voice. And there he finds a Kaddish Baruch. And the image is brought, and it's an important, ripe metaphor for sometimes when you're looking at the fireworks and the big displays, the big uh, flamboyant displays in history, uh, you're not going to find it. Sometimes it's in the subtle, quiet voice, the Lamed Vav, the quiet 36 righteous people who live in every generation, going about their, their silent acts of chesed. Nobody pays attention to them, but they're the ones who are moving and shaking the world. That's where Eliyahu Navi encounters a Kaddish Baruch Hu too in the cold Mamadaka. The uh, in the south, meanwhile, um, Yehoram, the son of Yoshafat, rules for eight years, and somehow Yoshafat made a really bad shidduch. He, he connects the northern kingdom with the southern kingdom with the L'shem Shemayim intention of trying to elevate everybody and bring bring and get them into uh, service serving Hashem instead of Zara. Yehoram marries Asalia, Atalia, if you want. That's her name. Uh, she comes in and she turns, instead of, instead of him being Makar of her, she is Makar of him, Makar of him, and brings in Avodazara. She gets him to kill his brothers. Later on, she single-handedly almost wipes out the entire surviving remnant of the house of David. Baruch Hashem, one gets away. And to save him when he grows up, he becomes the new king. Um, she is the singular queen in all of uh, in all of history, but it's not real. It's not legitimate queen. No woman should be queen. Um, she usurps she usurps power after tremendous inside scheming. She's undone later. She runs in when 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 the jig is up, and when they finally take this little babe, this child now who's grown up seven years later, he's old enough to assume the the, uh, the title of king, and she comes in and she perceives a conspiracy, and she runs in. Kesher, Kesher, she calls. Kesher is the term for conspiracy, and they execute her. So she, she, meets, she meets a bad end. But that's, I'm running, I'm ahead of myself. How do they execute her? They try her and they execute her, and she's chayevis, every kind of, all four of the Dalin Mises based him. Uh, so like yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, she sets up everybody for defeat, she schemes. The, um, and it's during this period, let me just point something out. And part of what I'm doing in history is teaching you history's greatest hits, but part of what I'm doing is teaching you the, the less known parts of history that you really should know. And here's a little detail that we have coming up in the end of, um, coming, up, coming up in Parsha. 
um, where we find, um, not this week's parsha, next week's parsha, where we find the end of the seed of Esav, it's predicted that Esav will have, um, we, first of all, we know, the Pasuk tells Rivka, Hashem tells Rivka that um, when one is up, the other one's down. Esav and Yaakov struggle through history, and much of history could be understood as the, as the struggle between the two for supremacy. And at this point in history, Yaakov is on top. Esav we don't hear about so much. Only when Yaakov falls to idolatry, when Yehoram finally falls to idolatry, suddenly we start hearing about the chieftains after the first eight kings in the south, a base David. The first eight kings, as is predicted at the end of Parshas Vayishlach, um, rise up of Esav, and from this point on in history, Esav is on top. Meaning, we're now seeing the decline of Klal Yisrael, of base David, and the supremacy of Esav, it's only beginning. Uh, but it's a pattern in history you have, to t- you have to take note of. Is this before or after the, the two temples? This is before, this is during the first temple. Are after you? the first eight kings rule, Edom suddenly emerges as a force in the world and it's a dominion that lasts till today. Yeah. So we're in Esau right now. This is, well, on this level. The truth is, is in another dream that we're going to get to hopefully soon, but we'll have to, we'll have to continue tomorrow, we'll, we'll talk about the four, the Dalad Malchios, the four kingdoms, and the, the four exiles. And the fourth of the four exiles is officially Esau, meaning Esau was emerging now. He'll only really totally conquer the world when Rome emerges as a force in the world near the end of the Second Temple period. That and other details will continue tomorrow. Bezras Hashem.